Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Will the Fed continue with rate hikes despite this month's bank failures? We'll get the answer today as Fed Chair Jerome Powell addresses the issue. Letting kids make their own medical decisions. Some military doctors say young children who say they're the opposite sex should be treated as such and given medication. A new report says the UN cultural agency UNESCO is not doing its job. The report says it has kept a zipped lip as the CCP wreaks havoc against the Uyghurs and their culture. Former President Trump unveils his plan to dismantle what he calls the deep state and demonstrators both for and against Trump's potential arrest voice their opinions. The U.S. says it respects Poland and Slovakia's decision as sovereign nations to send fighter jets to Ukraine, but gives a firm answer on whether it intends to follow suit. The Federal Reserve Chair plans to speak publicly today for the first time since the bank failures earlier this month, and he'll also announce what they plan to do with interest rates. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell will be front and center Wednesday afternoon with his decision of whether another U.S. rate hike is on the way. I think a quarter point's fine. Uh, Me personally, I think the Fed should just go ahead and go to 50 basis points. The Fed has raised rates eight times since March 2022. The most recent increase was in February when they went up a quarter point. Some analysts say the collapse of two U.S. banks this month could cause the Fed to hold rates steady and give the U.S. economy some breathing room. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, speaking at the American Bankers Association on Tuesday, said the U.S. banking system remains sound. She also added... It's essential that Congress raise the debt ceiling and that they do it promptly um, in order not to inflict um, a truly catastrophic wound um, on our economy and financial system. But critics of the White House say that won't produce any solutions. Government spent too much and created inflation. So should I ignore it? Should we do exactly what the president say and just lift the debt ceiling? and create more inflation and more banking problems? Stay tuned to our 5 o'clock business show with Don Ma today. They'll have detailed analysis on the Fed's decision and how you can protect your money. Some military doctors are saying kids as young as 7 can make their own health decisions. They also say children experiencing gender dysphoria should be given medication right away. Here's the story. A number of Department of Defense or DOD doctors wrote an article for the March edition of the American Journal of Public Health. The doctors wrote, compared with their siblings without gender dysphoria, transgender youths seen in the military health system had over five times greater odds of a mental health diagnosis and seven times greater odds of suicidal ideation or self-harm. It went on to say that puberty blockers and hormones can mitigate those risks while criticizing that, Among military-affiliated physicians in the military health system, 87% indicated they did not have sufficient training to prescribe gender-affirming hormones to transgender adults, and 53% said they would not prescribe gender-affirming hormones regardless of training. The DOD was asked by Fox News whether it's planning to offer such trainings and responded, The Department of Defense will train its healthcare providers in keeping with current science and best medical evidence. Such decisions wouldn't only affect transgender adults. The doctors write that prior research has found that children can begin participating in their medical decision-making as early as age 7 years with gradual increases in decision-making capacity. The DOD also told Fox News that medical decisions are made in consultation between a minor and their guardians. Eight states, including Florida, have passed laws or policies that restrict cross-sex procedures for minors. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said on the issue, Children are not guinea pigs for science experimentation, and we cannot allow people to make money off mutilating them. The authors of the article suggested healthcare providers might have to act illegally. They say that DOD doctors may be forced to choose between withholding recommended and medically necessary treatments to act in accordance with state law in providing ethical and evidence-based treatment while facing legal or financial persecution. NTD reached out to the Department of Defense for comment, but didn't immediately hear back. The United Nations Agency dealing with education and culture is under fire. It faces accusations of being complicit in ongoing atrocities by the CCP against Uyghurs and their culture. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more. A new report by the Uyghur Human Rights Project says the CCP is carrying out systematic actions against Uyghur culture and heritage. 
Everything that gives the Uyghurs their unique cultural identity, according to the report, is being targeted by the CCP. That includes tradition, music, dance, religion, language, poetry, and more. The CCP is also destroying mosques and other religious sites and restricting the use of regional languages. The report says this is part of a broader campaign of genocide in the region of western China known as Xinjiang. UNESCO is the UN cultural agency that serves to protect cultural heritage around the world. The report charges UNESCO with remaining silent when it should speak up. Peter Irwin of the Uyghur Human Rights Project asks, Where is UNESCO when the Chinese government is literally destroying the identity and culture of Uyghurs? Irwin believes UNESCO is refusing to speak out due to the funding it receives from China. Meanwhile, the UN Human Rights Council took the rare step of voting down a motion to discuss human rights abuses by China against Uyghurs in October of last year. There can be no doubt about the gravity and the scale of what has been reported in Xinjiang. It was only the second time in the Council's 16-year history that a motion was rejected. The vote was seen as a blow to the credibility of the United Nations itself. No country, no matter how powerful, should be excluded from Council discussions. UNESCO continues to acknowledge the Chinese regime as the protector of Uyghur heritage in the region. Uyghurs and Muslims are among many groups that experts and human rights monitors say are persecuted by the CCP. Other victims include practitioners of Falun Gong, Christians, Tibetans, and more. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Former President Trump revealed his plan to dismantle what he calls the deep state yesterday. It's part of his Agenda 47 for 2024. Meanwhile, demonstrators both in support of and against him took to the streets. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on Trump's 10-point plan. They're all sick, and it's fake news. Trump vowed to aggressively remove rogue bureaucrats, uproot corrupt actors in the national security sector, and rework FISA courts if elected in 2024. He plans to create a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. To declassify and publish all documents on deep state spying, censorship and corruption. He's promising to crack down on government leakers that he says collude with media to create false narratives. And says he will ask Congress to create an independent auditing system to monitor intelligence agencies to make sure they're not running disinformation campaigns or spying on citizens. He's also proposing term limits for members of Congress. This is how I will shatter the deep state and restore government that is controlled by the people and for the people. Reactions to Trump's possible upcoming indictment were mixed in New York on Tuesday. Both supporters and adversaries were on the streets making their stance known. I certainly don't want him to be elected uh, in the next election. He should get arrested and he shouldn't be like involved in uh, U.S. government at all. The DA yeah. should focus on crime in New York. Yeah, He should focus on crime in the city. Proponents in other parts of the country like Alabama and Florida said they were not protesting but rallying in support of Trump instead. We're not going to just lay, lie, lie down and, and pretend that this is normal or that this is right. It's not right. They've spent millions of U.S. tax dollars coming after him instead of working with him to help our country. And I think it's ridiculous, but like I said, it's benefiting Trump in the long run. I love our governor, but Trump's our man. Trump is holding his first 2024 campaign rally in Waco, Texas on Saturday. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The State Department is facing a deadline to provide documents on the Afghanistan withdrawal. The chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee sent a letter to Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Congressman Michael McCall said in the letter that the State Department must send at least three requested documents by the end of today. McCall said the committee will issue a subpoena if the materials are not produced before March 23rd, the day of Blinken's testimony before the committee. A State Department spokesperson said the department is providing hundreds of pages of documents and will continue to do so, but he said he could not answer when the department would provide the three specific documents most urgently requested. And coming up, Utah has a new state flag. The modernized flag aims to showcase the state's industriousness and landscape. Find out what it looks like just after this break.
a former state lawmaker in Florida pleads guilty to wire fraud, money laundering, and lying related to COVID-19 relief money. Joseph Harding served two years in Florida's House of Representatives as a Republican and now faces up to 35 years in prison. His indictment says he filled out COVID relief forms for fake businesses. One was called VacShack Inc. and the other Harding Farms. In total, he applied for $150,000 in loans. The indictment says he claimed the companies had over six employees and made $800,000 the previous year, but the businesses were actually dormant. Harding allegedly received the loan money while still in office and then illegally transferred some into various bank accounts and put some towards credit card debt. A group of seven U.S. senators wants to raise the mandatory commercial pilot retirement age to 67. The goal is to deal with the lack of pilots. Senator Lindsey Graham and other Republicans first introduced the bill and now includes Democrats Joe Manchin and Mark Kelly. The proposal would require pilots over age 65 to pass a rigorous medical screening every six months. Graham said roughly 5,000 pilots will be forced to retire within the next two years. He says hundreds of flights are being canceled due to a shortage of available pilots and crews. The Airline Pilots Association opposes proposals to increase the retirement age. Utah has changed its flag, but the old one still has a place of honor in the state's history. The governor signed a bill and an executive order for the change. Here's a look at it. The new flag features a beehive design to symbolize the state's industriousness and jagged peaks to symbolize the state's mountainous terrain. The shade of blue in the flag is carried over from the base color of the original. It also features white, red, and yellow. The state's original flag was designed in 1903 by the group Daughters of the American Revolution. It was officially adopted in 1911. Utah had become the 45th state by 1896. That flag is now considered the state's historical flag, and the governor ordered that it fly above the new one whenever the two are on the same flagpole. California is once again experiencing heavy flooding with roads and farmland underwater. The aftermath of the latest spell of harsh wintry weather has wreaked havoc in the Golden State. A man fishes by boat where cars and tractors once drove as a train rolls by in the distance. Homes and vehicles are inundated by river floodwaters. Southern and central California are expected to be hardest hit by the newest onslaught of cold weather. Weather warnings were posted for a vast stretch of California from the Mexico border through Los Angeles to the San Francisco Bay Area. Winter storm warnings were in effect for high mountains where several feet of snowfall was possible. Forecasters said howling winds were expected across much of the state with gusts up to 75 miles per hour in Southern California's mountains and deserts. A good Samaritan helped police stop a man who was carrying loaded weapons around New York and it was caught on camera. A warning that the following footage is violent. Authorities say a gunman was running away from police after he'd gotten into a verbal dispute at a Manhattan bodega. He displayed a revolver and a semi-automatic rifle. A good Samaritan got in the way, pushed him and held him until police caught up. The gunman had ditched the rifle during the chase, but law enforcement was able to recover both weapons. The runaway was charged with possession of firearms after a felony conviction. He faces up to 15 years in prison if convicted. And in Florida, security guards stopped an armed man at a strip club. Tampa police released this security footage from Sunday, warning this footage also shows violence. A man tried to walk into the club wearing a red and black devil mask and carrying a firearm. Before he could enter the club, the video shows a security guard grabbing the weapon. The two fought as other security guards jumped in. They were able to disarm and subdue the man. Police say three security guards suffered minor injuries from the struggle, but no one was hurt inside the establishment. The gunman faces several charges, including aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and battery. Police are looking for a motive for his actions as part of their investigation. A Michigan University is celebrating the arrival of spring in a very special way. The burning of a snowman is meant to bring warmer weather. The tradition has been around for half a century and involves setting fire to a wooden snowman skeleton covered with straw, wire, paint, and paper. A sign that burned along with it read, Burn Negativity. It all took place Monday on the campus of Lake Superior State University. It's located in Michigan's Upper Peninsula near the Canadian border. 
At the end of the event, students from the school's fire science program put out the flames. Still to come, intelligence on COVID origins declassified. We bring you analysis on what Americans could learn, including about the initial outbreak, the CCP's cover-up, and the worldwide spread. With China's economy on the downside, an expert says it's critical for the U.S. to end favored trading with China. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. The U.S. is taking further steps to track down the origins of the COVID pandemic. We hear analysis on this and the potential involvement of the Wuhan lab and raccoon dogs sold at the wet seafood market. Joining us now for analysis is Sean Lin, former U.S. Army microbiologist and professor of biomedical sciences at Feitian College. He's also a member of the Committee on the Present Danger China. Thank you for making the time today, Sean. Uh, Thanks for inviting me. Intel related to the origins of COVID-19 has been declassified. President Biden just signed a law doing so. First, how will this benefit the American people? I definitely welcome uh, this law. I think the CCP owes the whole world about the truth regarding what exactly happened in China in uh, late 2019 and early 2020. And uh, this new law should allow the public to get more information regarding about the information that uh, the intelligence the United States uh, United States government has collected uh, but at the same time I don't know how much uh, information will be redacted when it released or how long it uh, takes because uh, uh, we know there's so many different um, uh, agencies in the intelligence community has actually collected a lot of data but I, I hope that it can paint a very good picture for the whole world to understand clearly what exactly happened and how the CCP covered up uh, the outbreak as well as the spreading of the virus to the whole world. Yes, there are a lot of agencies involved in getting to the bottom of this. Biden noted that his administration will review potential links between the origin of the virus and the Wuhan Institute of Virology. What can you tell us about this and the alleged U.S. federal funding for gain-of-function research at the lab by a New York nonprofit, EcoHealth Alliance? Uh, that's a long-term problem, actually. The United States government, uh, NIH, and uh, USAID has been funding uh, the gain-of-function research in different parts of the world, and especially uh, in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, because they have um, many years of research on coronavirus, and they have assessed some important samples. And so it become a strategic investment point for the NIH if some of the leaders strongly support gain-of-function studies. And so they did not understand the uh, vicious intent the Communist Party might have. And they uh, already integrate these kind of research with their uh, military programs. Actually, uh, these kind of funding indirectly support CCP's uh, unrestricted warfare against the United States. Yes, bioweapon research is very concerning. Now, there is a lot of buzz about a new report. It says the start of the virus was linked to raccoon dogs being sold at the Huanan Seafood Market in Wuhan. Scientists analyzed genetic samples to come to this conclusion. With your background in biology, does this report have any value? Yeah, I read the report, but I didn't feel that it uh, gave enough evidence that actually the raccoon dogs was actually infected by the virus. It was just uh, raw sequencing data showing uh, some of the sequence from raccoon dogs. But we need to understand that the Wuhan Institute of Virology has been working on uh, raccoon dogs or cell lines from raccoon dogs for many years. Uh, so maybe there are uh, studies are very sensitive to the world, and so that's why the Wuhan Institute of Virology, as well CDC's director Gaofu, did not want to uh, release the raw data to the public. So fortunately, some of the experts uh, noticed that raw data submitted uh, in uh, together with the last year's uh, publication by China CDC, uh, and the raw data was available in GSET. So they got this data, but CDC and the China CDC quickly uh, rejected, uh, uh, further exposed the data and shut down the collaboration. And so I think this is definitely against uh, the spirit of international collaboration on scientific findings. And that's why I actually suspect that 
they may use raccoon dog as uh, some uh, field testing animals for gain of function studies on coronavirus. And so uh, I, I think the CCP covering up for any uh, for a particular reason. Well, it's very good that you shed light on the fact that these raccoon dogs were actually involved in some of this research at the lab. Sean Lin, former U.S. Army microbiologist and professor of biomedical sciences at Feitian College, thank you so much for your analysis today. You're welcome. Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping's trip to Moscow has now wrapped up. How did the Chinese economy factor into the talks? Entity's Tiffany Meyer sits down with Antonio Graceffo to discuss. He's China economic analyst and a contributor to the Epic Times. Here's a look at their discussion. Antonio Graceffo, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Good to see you, Tiffany. Antonio, kind of zooming in on the economy, it seems with this Xi and Putin meeting especially, right, China's been doing this diplomatic dance in a way. They have been helping Russia economically, but with those sanctions or even secondary sanctions that could be levied on China, it seems China's own economy has been taking quite a hit. You have a piece out recently called China's economic recovery is uncertain. So what are you seeing in that aspect? So while the rest of the world is raising interest rate, while the rest of the world is raising interest rates to combat inflation, China keeps cutting rates, cutting reserve requirements because they're trying to free up liquidity in their banking system, in their financial system, increase the uh, quantity of, of cash that's available to expand the economy. Now, this is a very, very unsound way to expand the size of the economy, and it has to be paid for later. So China already has debt equivalent to 300% of GDP. Its debt is just growing. So I see the Chinese economy really struggling this year. Um, the other issue is that demand for everything is still down in the rest of the world. The rest of the world is still facing essentially somewhere between recession and stagflation that's keeping consumer demand down. Um, so Chinese products aren't in demand as much abroad. Um, a push for nationalism within China is driving a lot of uh, foreign brands out of China. They're not making the money they were making before. Uh, general downturn in the Chinese economy. Uh, they could never get the consumers to consume in China the way that they did and the way they do in the United States. And Antonio, speaking of this, say, economic uncertainty that's unfolding in China right now, here in the U.S., Senator Josh Hawley is introducing a bill that would cancel the country's most favored nation status within two years. So if this actually passes, what would be the impact on China? I really, really wish that this would pass. Unfortunately, it's one of those things that comes up every couple of years or months or something. Somebody talks about it and it, and it just doesn't go anywhere, unfortunately. Now, we are ratcheting up to the credit of the previous administration and the current administration. We are ratcheting this up on both U.S. outbound investment into China, Chinese investment into the United States, trade with China. The chip ban is, is huge. I mean, we're doing a lot of good things, but it's a bunch of piecemeal things. And I really wish that we would do something big like removing their most favored uh, trade and nation status, uh, just outright banning imports from China, outright banning investment in China, something along that lines, because every step of the way, you know, we're, 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 we're tightening this or that, or we're making this or that better. But meanwhile, there's another problem over there. It's another problem. Over there. It's like playing the whack-a-mole game. You know, you knock down this, this mole, and then that one pops up over there. And the problem is that all these profits that China's earning, all this money that they're getting from U.S. investors, and it's just going back into weapons, ultimately. It's funding their technological advancement, AI, uh, new age weapons, new age technology, space wars, all these things. And uh, if we can cut off their money, they won't be able to do it. I mean, it's the same concept of what we're doing to Russia. We're hamstringing Russia economically so that they can't wage a war. Unfortunately, they have their buddy China feeding them money through the back door, right? And if we could cut that off, that would be great. And more on China, sandstorms shrouded Beijing in northern China on Wednesday as air pollution rose to hazardous levels. 
The sandstorm blanketed buildings and roads in a thick cloud of orange dust. Beijing has experienced sand and dust storms over the past several days, causing pollution levels to increase drastically. Today, the air quality index reached a level considered very hazardous to human health, a figure that is more than 37 times the daily average guideline set by the World Health Organization. Visibility is very poor in many areas, but residents in Beijing said the weather mostly didn't hamper their daily routine. In terms of effects from the sandstorm, there is the smell of dust on the subway. But when I go outside, I can't feel it that much because the subway entrance is very close to my home. The impacts are not that great, but can still feel the effects of it. This is the third sandstorm this month. A government agency issued yellow warnings for nearly a dozen provinces for Wednesday and Thursday. Beijing is regularly hit with sandstorms in the spring, with the smog made worse by industrial pollution. For the first time in 26 years, a cabinet-level German official is visiting Taiwan. Taiwan, with its excellent research institutions, is a highly esteemed partner. Germany's education minister is in Taiwan to bolster scientific cooperation. She's the highest-level German official to visit the island since 1997. The minister said it's important for her department to cooperate with like-minded partners. Taiwan and Germany will begin joint research in many important fields, such, such as lithium batteries, hydrogen, artificial intelligence, semiconductors, and talent training. Both sides are preparing to expand the global supply chain in green energy. Pacific Air Force Commander Kenneth Wilsbach says China has some tough lessons to learn from Russia's war in Ukraine. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the general's comments. Great. Over to you. General Wilsbach says Russia tried to create an information space before launching its attack on Ukraine and says the lies they made up to rationalize the war didn't work and that no one in the international community bought them. I hope that China is... Um, paying close attention. He says China is now going down a similar road regarding Taiwan. Like the U.S. is trying to create uh, an Asian NATO. The general says China should take heed of how the world reacted to the Ukraine invasion, first through sanctions. Um, And then eventually they uh, went to support and, and even as far as lethal aid. Wilsbach says China should expect the same if they invaded Taiwan. The general also remarked that Russia should have had it easy with a cross-the-border land operation and compared that with what China would face. China has the most difficult military operation there is to do, which is an amphibious landing coordinated with an air assault over 100 miles of ocean. The general says the CCP aims to impose its will on neighbors in the region and everybody else but added that, like Ukraine, Taiwan is an adversary that would fight. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, UK members of parliament had some sharp criticism for the prime minister's Brexit deal fix, and they have a warning regarding EU laws. Inflation in Poland soars to its highest point in over a quarter of a century. Hear what polls have to say about how they're coping when we come back. The U.S. is saying no to sending fighter jets to Ukraine. This despite fellow NATO members Poland and Slovakia doing just that. The State Department says Poland and Slovakia's moves would not impact U.S. policy. Secretary of State Antony Blinken called Poland's choice a sovereign decision. Poland announced on March 16th it would send fighter jets to Ukraine, becoming the first NATO country to do so. Poland and Slovakia's move could be a turning point for Ukraine in repelling Russia's invasion. Kyiv has asked for fighter jets since last year, only for Washington and other NATO allies to refuse. Staying in the war in Ukraine, the International Monetary Fund, or IMF, is offering the country a four-year financing package worth roughly $16 billion. The IMF said on Tuesday they have reached a staff-level agreement with Ukrainian authorities. The agreement must still be ratified by the IMF's executive board. If approved, this would be Ukraine's biggest loan package since war started. 
It would also be the IMF's biggest loan to a country involved in an active conflict. The IMF said its executive board is expected to discuss approval in the coming weeks. The Ukrainian Prime Minister and U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen welcomed the deal. European Union countries have agreed to send one million rounds of artillery shells to Ukraine. Both sides fire thousands of rounds per day. EU foreign policy chief Joseph Borrell described the move as a historic decision. The plan would cost over $2 million over the next year. Countries will have to dig into their own stockpiles and team up to buy more shells. The joint procurement is limited to companies from the EU as well as Norway, which has close economic ties to the bloc. EU officials have said that new joint orders could be placed in May. This move marks a significant step in EU integration since governments have acted individually to provide defense materials until now. Ukraine's President Zelensky expressed his gratitude, saying the supply of ammunition has increased his confidence during the conflict. In the UK, some members of Parliament delivered a devastating assessment of the Prime Minister's Brexit deal fix. They say its key selling point is practically useless and warn it leaves the door open for EU laws to be used against the UK in the future. Downing Street, meanwhile, says it's the best deal for Northern Ireland. This report comes from NTD's Malcolm Hudson. A Conservative Brexiteer group of MPs warns that the key feature of Rishi Sunak's Brexit deal fix, that is the so-called storm and break, is practically useless. The European Research Group, or ERG, said this as they released a legal review of Sunak's Windsor framework and ahead of Wednesday's parliamentary vote on the break. So in short, the storm and break aims to allow Northern Ireland to stop new EU laws from being applied in the region, but it comes with significant caveats. Westminster, not Northern Ireland, will make the decision to veto the regulations. If the UK does pull the brake, Brussels could prevent the veto. The ERG say this means the brake is not a real veto, despite what the government has claimed. And even if the UK does block the EU law, the EU can retaliate with trade countermeasures. The ERG say that as a result, future governments may be incentivized to copy EU laws to avoid trade disputes. That defeats the idea of both Northern Irish and UK sovereignty. The kicker here for the ERG is that Norway, who are not in the EU, already tried to use a storm and break style veto in 2011, but they eventually caved in to EU pressure after two years. The government says it's likely the storm and break will rarely be used. The ERG's legal review also says the green lane, red lane trade system is misleading. Red lane goods are designed for the EU single market. Green lane goods go just to Northern Ireland, staying in the UK. Quickly summarising the legal review here, there will still be lots of bureaucracy for green lane goods, so there will still be a trade border across the Irish Sea. That means Northern Ireland is not an equal trade partner in the UK. DUP MP Samuel Wilson welcomed the ERG analysis, saying it exposes the hollowness of the government's rhetoric on the Windsor framework. He said that the report confirmed the view of DUP leader Sir Geoffrey Donaldson, adding, By handing over control of border checks, the government has ensured that in future, the continuation of any EU concessions on trade restrictions can be withdrawn at the whim of the EU. The DUP is going to vote against the storm and break. The ERG hasn't yet decided which way they'll vote. Since Labour is voting in favour, Sunak has more than enough support to win the vote. So now it's more a question of if he can get the backing of his own MPs or if he's left in the embarrassing position of winning due to the support of his own opposition. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News London. A ship accident in the port of Leith in northern Scotland. A boat came off its holding and tipped on its side, injuring 25 people. The accident occurred at about 8 a.m. local time on Wednesday. Footage shows a large ship propped up against the wall of a dry dock. A local councilman said strong winds caused the incident. Five ambulances, one air ambulance, and other rescue professionals were on site. Fifteen people were sent to the hospital. Ten were treated and discharged at the scene. Polish consumers say they are finding it harder and harder to make ends meet as inflation soars to its highest point in over a quarter of a century. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the story. Inflation in Poland was 18.4% year over year in February. That's according to statistics office data released March 15th. The figure marks the highest inflation in 26 years. 
my opinion, the real inflation is still higher than they inform us. So the statistics says one thing, but the reality says the other thing. Uh, the prices are quite high, especially for the food recently. Prices for food and non-alcoholic beverages rose 24% year over year in February. Prices for housing, water, electricity and gas rose nearly 23%. For example, for tomatoes, for right now you have to pay around 20 slots per kilo. Uh, the normal price was around 12. Uh, pepperoni did the same, it went quite high for 30 slots per kilo or something. Surging energy costs have put households across Europe under pressure. Student Kinga said she's having trouble paying the bills. We are studying, then we have to work, and we're still supposed to be able to buy uh, some nice stuff for ourselves. But when we have to pay our bills, uh, buy some food and even clothes, cosmetics and something, uh, it's not enough even to go to the cinema sometimes or something. For teacher and soccer coach Mache, inflation is making it harder for him to support his young family. Thinks about my kids because uh, something like I have two kids and uh, when I must buy, for example, milk, uh, pampers or something like that, uh, it's uh, expensive. For all Poles, especially young people and families, relief from inflation can't come soon enough. Andrew Thomas. NTD News. The European Central Bank on Wednesday reaffirmed its plan to bring inflation in the Eurozone down to 2%. It was nearly 9% just last month. Here's ECB President Christine Lagarde. Faced with new and overlapping shocks, we have no choice today but to deal with uncertainty. But the public can be certain about one thing. We will deliver price stability. The ECB will also watch for signs of stress in bank lending from the ongoing financial turmoil, but it says a full-blown crisis is unlikely for now. Investors don't know if the ECB will be able to keep raising rates to fight inflation. That's due to the turmoil in the banking sector. Two U.S. lenders have gone under and Swiss giant Credit Suisse needed a last-minute rescue. The German government is blocking the EU ban on combustion engine vehicles, but an international group is protesting with an unusual display. In front of Berlin's landmark Brandenburg Gate stands a smoking crashed car bearing a German government logo on the side. It was part of a protest organized by the global campaign network Greenpeace. The European Parliament wants halt to the sale of new combustion engine vehicles from 2035. One alternative is e-fuel, a synthetic energy produced in a climate-neutral manner. The FDP, one of Germany's three-party coalition, is demanding an exception for cars running on e-fuel. Protesters are urging the other two parties to exert pressure on FDP. An oil giant in the West Asian country of Kuwait declared a state of emergency. The company says it was triggered by an oil spill in the nation's west. Video posted by Kuwait Oil Company shows a gushing oil pipeline surrounded by a large oil spill. The company says it's making maximum efforts to fully control it, but it refuses to specify the exact location or extent of the leak. The company has previously reported similar spills at its fields in 2020 and 2016. Kuwait is a major oil producer with almost 90% of its government revenue coming from oil. Still to come, Pakistani immigrants in Italy try to defy forced marriage situations, often with deadly consequences. And the British castle used to film the hit TV series Downton Abbey is straining under Brexit. Profit is down and business is affected. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. In Italy, young immigrant women from Pakistan have been victims of alleged honor killings after they refused to agree to marriage arranged by their relatives. From the day of her birth in Pakistan, Iram Aslam was betrothed to a cousin 17 days older. Aslam, who emigrated to Italy as a teenager, refused the arranged marriage. 
but her family in both Italy and Pakistan kept scheming to have her wed a man of their choice and their caste. They proposed at least 30 other men to me. I refused every time. Also for another reason, I loved another person. I wanted to be with him. My family members did not want me to. There is no such thing as love in our culture. Aslam lives in a town in northern Italy where Pakistanis are the dominant immigrant community. She said she was physically abused by her brother after she refused to tell him the password of her mobile phone. These Pakistanis don't let you live. They are the ones who kill you. Every time they saw me go out, they would call my brother. They didn't understand that at 11 o'clock I come back from school. Every night when I come home, I had to argue with my brother about it. Aslam said she went for a time to live in Germany to escape marriage-obsessed relatives. But there was no escape for 18-year-old Saman Abbas. In November, her body was dug up in the ruins of a farmhouse in an Italian town. Autopsy revealed a broken neck bone, possibly caused by strangulation. Authorities indicted an uncle, two cousins and her father. Abbas had reportedly told her boyfriend she feared for her life because she refused to be married to an older man in her homeland. According to a defence lawyer for the Italian Union of Islamic Communities, there are no religious reasons behind the killing. The arranged marriage has been there, but only because of economic goals. So much so that, during a search in this trial, data emerged referring to valuables that were attributed to the family of the man she was supposed to marry, gifts that already came from that family. Forced marriages seem to be more rooted in culture rather than in religion. Forced marriage is not legitimate in the Islamic religion. Two adults just meet and try to make a marriage relationship respected by the community. There's no obligation to marry this or that person. There's free choice. In another high-profile case, 25-year-old Sana Chima was slain when she returned from Italy to Pakistan in 2018, allegedly at her parents' insistence. Two friends testified this month that Chima told them her parents wanted her to marry a cousin in Pakistan. She said that she had talked to her parents, but she did not want to marry anyone, that she wanted to go back to Italy and that she would try to convince them. Chima's family initially told Pakistani authorities she died of a heart attack the day before she was supposed to fly back to Italy. With the Italian embassy closely following the case, Chima's body was exhumed. An autopsy indicated she was likely strangled. A court in Pakistan acquitted Chima's father and brother on murder charges, citing insufficient evidence. Italy has no extradition treaty with Pakistan. Italian prosecutors are now prosecuting the two in absentia on a novel charge, murder in violation of the political right to marry one's own choice. For our Italian legal system, the exercise of rights related to choice of whom to marry and who to live with are legitimate rights of every citizen, and therefore it's necessary to act with the utmost firmness. Even aristocrats are feeling the pinch due to Brexit. The owner of Highclere Castle, where Downton Abbey was filmed, say they had to stop hosting larger weddings as they couldn't find enough staff. Their exports to the EU also decreased because of red tape. Highclere Castle, the main filming location of ITV's hit drama series Downton Abbey, is facing a serious staff shortage. Its owner, Lady Carnarvon, said she had to mothball the castle's main business of hosting larger weddings. We have stopped being able to offer any weddings of any substantial size because of Brexit. The consequences of Brexit, the consequences of not being able to have a pool of staff from which to draw to help us man the weddings. Weddings made up 40% of the overall business at its heights. The castle used to host around 25 of them, with more than 100 guests a season. Weddings with around 20 guests are still possible, but are a much smaller part of the business. Lady Carnarvon said they used to have some EU students attending university in Britain work for them during weddings. 
but they are no longer available. We cannot find them. When we go to our usual agencies um, and try to find people, they are not there. If we ask for 10, three might turn up. We've gone to all the local colleges. There's nobody we haven't asked. Revenues from other parts of Highclere's business have also fallen. Its gift shop has stopped shipping to EU countries because of increased courier costs and paperwork. Other trade from the Highclere estate, such as the export of horse feeds, has also fallen due to high paperwork and legal fees. We are wrapped in red tape now in every piece of our business that we do. It's a very challenging world, so therefore our business revenues have decreased, the VAT decreases, the tax decreases, as we all try to keep going. At the same time, she's optimistic about new streams of revenue. Lady Carnarvon said Highclere Castle Gin is gaining traction in the United States. She expects Highclere to just about break even this year compared to profitable years prior to Brexit and the pandemic. Just ahead, the London Festival of Railway Modelling brings fans and collectors together to celebrate their miniature hobby. It's one of the largest events of its kind. A German brewery has turned liquid beer into powder, a glimpse of the drink's possible future. We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News. Japanese sports fans erupted in jubilation after their countrymen defeated Team USA to win the World Baseball Classic for the first time since 2009. Over 100 people crowded the area near Shimbashi Station in Tokyo, desperate to get special newspaper editions celebrating the victory. Two-country superstar Shohei Otani struck out Los Angeles Angels player Mike Trout to seal the 3-2 victory. The game took place Tuesday evening in Miami. Japan has now won three of the five global tournaments. Otani's pregame speech went viral. He told his teammates to stop admiring American baseball players for at least a day and to go out there and beat them. Before the current win, Japan won the first and second World Baseball Classic tournaments, the Dominican Republic won the third one, and the United States won the 2017 edition. The London Festival of Railway Modeling is one of the largest events of its kind. The festival brings fans and collectors together to celebrate their miniature hobby. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details. There are over 40 exhibits here at the London Festival of Railway Modeling. The event draws a diverse crowd. At one exhibition, I went for a drink uh, between the two days, and I was, on, I was in the pub with two lawyers, a physics professor, uh, a guy who ran a bus company, a local councillor, uh, a guy who was uh, manager of a local theatre, and me. But most enthusiasts have something in common. The people doing rail modelling are an incredibly wide selection. Uh, to be fair, it does tend to be a slightly older person's hobby. Um, you will notice, that, let's be honest, you'll notice a lot of grey hair wandering around here. Founded in 1910, the Model Railway Club is the oldest rail model club in the world. Club president Tim Watson has been a hobbyist for most of his life. Model Railways is a hobby that refuses to go away. People say, oh, it'll never carry on, but it does. And indeed, it's absolutely at the top end of technology in terms of 3D printing and all sorts of um, ideas and manufacturing techniques, which are really quite cutting edge in actual fact. Many of the exhibitors at the show are private collectors. Bill Flude has built a model of the Bedfordshire narrow gauge railway from 1985. His scene features a lot of painstaking details. It's probably about six months of really quite hard work. Uh, as I'm now retired, I can, I can work sort of three or four hours a day on it. So it's about six, six months work, yeah. But like many model railway collectors, Bill says the hobby is relaxing. I find modeling is, is a very relaxing exercise. It's the sort of thing you can sit down and do several hours and come out at the end of it, not feeling tired or stressed, but actually relaxed and feeling achieved something. The London Festival of Railway Modeling ran over the weekend from March 18th through the 19th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A bright idea to save money amid the energy crisis, engineers in the UK tell us how they heat a swimming pool for free using the heat generated by a data center. 
So unlike a normal data center that blows air over the computers, are as you can see, these, uh, these are immersed in inert oil. So the oil heats up, and we push that oil through these pipes and into the, into the swimming pool. The swimming pool is in the southwest of England. Operators expect a major drop in their natural gas costs after installing the new system. This new setup is the idea of the company Deep Green Technologies. So what we're hoping, talking to Deep Green um, company about the, what they've installed, is potentially it could save us 60% of our running costs. So we could be talking 30, maybe 40,000 pounds a year of savings at current cost, which is obviously very, very significant. The good news goes both ways. The Leisure Center expects lower bills, and the technology company can offer cheaper computer services with lower cooling costs. Deep Green hopes to have 20 more pools across the UK adopt the technology. Stir some spoonfuls of powder into water, and presto, you have a pint of beer. It might sound unusual, but this could be the future of the millennia-old drink. A brewery in eastern Germany says it has developed beer in powder form to reduce the carbon footprint of transporting bottles or kegs. We have the foam. We already have the beer taste. We want to add carbon dioxide in powder form. We want to add alcohol in powder form. We can do all that with powder. And of course, it's absolutely fascinating that we have succeeded for the first time worldwide. The powdered beer is in its last stage of development, and first tastings have been promising. It's currently alcohol-free, although that may change in the future. After two years of research, the brewery is confident to have the product market-ready by the end of the year. In a future scenario, bottling companies would simply purchase the beer powder and then add water, or sell the powder directly to the end consumer. A Belgian zoo has welcomed a new member of the family. A rare Rothschild giraffe was born after two hours of labor. A camera inside the enclosure captured the delivery. Like other giraffes, the 12-year-old mother stood and brought her baby into life from a height. The five-foot-tall newborn then stood up for the first time to greet its family. Caregivers said its father watched the birth from another enclosure for safety reasons. Giraffes are the tallest land mammals in the world. They are considered a vulnerable species, though they are still widely distributed in southern and eastern Africa. This couple made history Monday by being the first ever to get married in a Houston airport. Lara Mark and U.S. Navy Lieutenant Commander Silas Henze tied the knot in a southwest terminal of Hobby Airport. Hensley said they chose the venue because it's been a big part of their lives. The airport helped orchestrate the event, all while remaining operational during the ceremony. Then, after the wedding, the couple had just a short walk to their gate to fly off for their honeymoon. And that's all for today's program. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.